Awesome. Good stuff. I was uh, kind of sick this week, so I'm a little bit, uh, I'm doing good. I'm not sick right now, but my goodness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to like have us all jump around and warm up a little bit for me to get excited here. So we're going to, uh, I'm just messing around. Uh, but if you could turn with me to Psalm 63, Psalm 63, and we're going to continue our series called In the Footsteps of David. As you guys know, we've been learning about David, and it's not just, this isn't just some random series, this isn't just something where we're looking at his life, but we, more than that, we want to know why David was a man after God's own heart. What made him different? And, 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 and how did he love God? How did he follow God? Because we want to know God like David did. We want to love God like David did. And we want to walk in David's footsteps. You'll remember uh, months ago I told you that the Lord told me, he said, hold David up as an example to my people. And that's really what God is saying. He's, he's giving David to us uh, as an example of what it looks like to be a man of God or a, a woman of God, somebody who's after God's heart. And so uh, we've looked at David's faith. We've seen how David knew and believed and understood the covenant that he had with God and had with God, and, and, and we've seen his faith. We've seen that David was, is, was a man of God's word, that he loved the word of God and and what he learned about God and uh, was from the Word. He meditated the Scriptures and he sang them in the Psalms. Most of his songs were based on the Word of God. We've seen, last week we talked about how David was a man of God's presence and how he cultivated the presence of God through worship. And so we've just been looking at who this man is so that we can know how to follow Christ ourselves. And today what I want to talk to us about, I want to start in Psalm 63. I want to talk to us about David's revelation of God's love. David had an amazing revelation of God's love, and it changed him. In fact, let me just say it this way, that the reason why David is a man after God's own heart is because he knew God's heart. He knew God's heart was like. He knew God's love, and it caused him to have a heart for God. It's interesting, I, um, I wasn't necessarily planning on preaching on this particular, doing like this particular message until about a month ago, you know, I'd been studying this and praying and all that, and, and uh, I always put this. I always kind of do an outline of the series, and uh, that always changes because I'm inevitably learning and growing and hearing the Lord. and And the Lord spoke to me about a month ago. He began to say to me, "Talk about my love. Talk about my love." And, uh, you know, my natural mind is, uh, well, it doesn't really fit, you know, and, the, and I already got the outline, you know. I didn't really argue with him, but, you know, your natural mind does think that. Just talk about my love. And he began to remind me as I was studying and just meditating and stuff, he began to remind me how powerful the revelation of God's love David had and how that revelation had changed my life. And then he spoke to me and he said, do not move on without talking about this. You know, he's just made it very clear about a month ago. You just do not move on. And I'll tell you, when we gather here, and many of you, you'll tell me, oh man, that was like just for me. That message was just for me. And the reason why is because I hear God, and He gives me a word for you. You hear the Lord because I've been with Him. So these aren't just sermons. But today I think there's something extra special that the Lord said, don't move on, Dave, until you tell them what David knew about my love. And so today the Lord has a word for us, as He always does, and starting in Psalm 63. It's one of my uh, 
Many, by the way, many of the psalms that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks are ironically my life psalms. And I say ironically just because uh, I didn't necessarily plan it that way. I just realized it last week when I was preaching. Those of you who didn't hear that message, I was going through psalms about the presence of God. And I, after I preached them, I thought to myself, hey, wait a minute, those have to be like every psalm that I have like, you know, spent time meditating and praying and whole seasons of my life. And so Psalm 63 is one of those where these are so important to understanding David and they've been so important to my own life. So Psalm 63, let's dive right in. It says here at the top that it's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And then in verse 1, David's psalm starts this way. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. David says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. David had this revelation of God's love. He had encountered God's love, and God's love was so real to him that he says this, your love is better than life. The Hebrew word behind this word, loving kindness, is the Hebrew word chesed. And I'm not just clearing my throat. That's actually how they talk. You know? Chesed keeps, keeps the throat clear. But chesed is one of the most powerful Hebrew words. You could write volumes about it, and they have. It, it, you can translate it mercy, love, loving kindness, loyalty. It's, it's talking about, it, this word is so powerful. It's really, um, it's God's unconditional, perfect, faithful love. It's the covenant love of God. He keeps covenant loyalty and faithfulness and love. It's, it's just loaded and David uses this word dozens of times in his psalms. Dozens. He sings about it all the time. Because he knew that God loved him. He had encountered this mercy, this compassion, this kindness, and this faithfulness of God. And here he says, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. Better than life. He's experienced God's love in such a way that he actually says, your love, Lord, it's better than life itself. Better than the love of any other person. Better than the love of a woman. Better than the love of my mom, of my dad. Better than the love of my best friend. Remember, he had Jonathan was one of his best friends. and We know David had a close relationship with his mom and dad. He says, better than any of those loves, better than any person could ever love me, more faithful, more loving, better than life itself. Here he is in a wilderness, in a dry and weary land where there really is no water. He wasn't just being metaphoric. He really is hungry and thirsty and tired emotionally, being chased by King Saul in a trial. Everything's been stripped from him. He probably hasn't seen his, his biological family for, for years, at least not his mom and dad. 
and, 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 and he lost position, he's lost all this stuff, and here he is struggling in the wilderness. I'm sure it was very difficult. In fact, we've read Psalms recently where David would pour out his soul to God. He would feel sorrow, and he would weep, and he'd cry before God. And yet in the midst of that, he says, God, I'm hungering for you, I'm thirsting for you, God. You're the living water. You're the one who's going to satisfy me. You're the one that I need. And why was David hungry for God? And why is it that David never gave up in the midst of trials? I mean, yes, he was a man of God and he feared the Lord, a man of integrity. And and all those things are really important. But I'll tell you what sustained him in those trials, what sustained him in the wilderness, what satisfied him and the deep longings of his heart when he was lonely And he didn't have people. He didn't have Jonathan in the cave. He didn't have his best to lean on. They didn't have, you know, phones and text messaging and all that, right? And he didn't didn't have his mom and dad when he's in the cave. And what sustained him? It's God's love. It's why he hungered for the Lord. It's why he would praise God in the midst of hard times. It's why he kept going. And he never gave up because he knew that God loved him. He knew that God loved him. He says, God, your love is better than life. Better than the pleasures of this life. Better than any blessing in this life. Better than anything. Better than life itself. Better than sex. Better than food. Better. He says, your love is better. Now see, those things aren't bad, huh? Those things are good, right? God created us for pleasure, didn't He? He created us for Himself and being in relation with one another, and He made us. I mean, if you didn't know that, God invented sex, all right? So, like, but, and God created us to enjoy life in the context of what it's meant to be for, right? Uh, 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 The reason why there's, you know, for example, food, you you enjoy food in the context of self-control and moderation and eating some healthy food, right? You enjoy sex in the context of a covenant of marriage between two people who are committed to one another. And in those contexts, the things of God that He created for us are good. Bring blessing in life. It's sin that brings brokenness when people are led by the flesh, not by the Spirit. And they allow those things to get out of control. You know, the overeating or the obsession with things, food or other substances become our satisfaction, our numbing out, our hiding and our escape, whatever, right? And yet God created all those things and David says your love is better than life. David had experienced the pleasures of God that satisfied him in the deepest places that he would say your love is better than anything else I've ever experienced. Your love is better than life itself. In fact, I think what David's saying more than any of those things is he's saying that, that I would rather die and live without your love. He said, I'd rather die than live without your love because your love is better than life itself. I need your love. I want your love. And you can see that here David, he's going through hard times and he's saying, God, I'm hungering for you because I've experienced this love. I've tasted, I've seen that you are good. I've experienced this and I need you. I need you. And see, so it's this love and this revelation of God's love that would sustain him, that would strengthen him and refresh him and renew him and keep him going. I still remember 
before I was, uh, before I came to the Lord, when I was 15, I, I didn't know that God loved me. I didn't know that. Now, I, I was raised hearing about the Bible, hearing about God. I knew that Jesus died on the cross and all that kind of stuff. But I did not know that God loved me. I thought, you know, it was a tragedy that Jesus died on the cross. I thought that, I thought that God didn't like me, you know, and, and I figured I'm going to hell or something. And I didn't know. I might have known the parts of the story, but I didn't know the heart of God. I didn't know the, the point, the gospel. And a friend of mine, as many of you know, began to talk to me about the gospel, began to tell me that you put your trust in Jesus and all your sins forgiven, made righteous, right with God. I thought he was arrogant. I thought he was making it up. No, 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 I'm a sinner. You know, no, I'm not good and everything. And, and see, I had studied, you know, I'd read most of the Bible uh, out as, as a skeptic and, you know, studied the prophecies and the histori- historicity of the Bible. And so I was satisfied in my mind that, that this, you know, Jesus was the real deal. He's the real deal. But I didn't think that he liked me, wanted me, loved me. I didn't have a clue. And this friend of mine began to talk to me about the gospel. Just verse after verse after verse after verse hours i would argue with him i just kept throwing things at him i thought he would stump him and he just this is what the bible says this is what the bible says and after hours those walls started to break down in my heart and the veil was rended and for the first time in my life i remember i saw like an image in my in my mind of like jesus on the cross and the first time i realized you love me i realized that this god created me because he actually loves me he actually wants relation with me. At first time I realized Jesus didn't die because someone made him do it or like just threw him up there on a cross. He chose the cross because he loves me. And for the first time in my life I realized it. And I said to Jesus, my friend was talking, I totally was ignoring him. At that point, no, I wasn't, but I just my brain went somewhere else. And I just in my head I just said, You love me that much. You're worth living for. And I'll tell you, everything changed. Everything changed. I began to make radical choices in my life. Radical choices to stop doing things I was doing. Radical choices to give things up that the Lord asked me to do. I mean, I began to change the way I spent my time, the way I spent my money. Everything changed. Radically, I began to follow the Lord, spend time with the Lord. I began to serve and just began doing a Christian club ministry. And the Lord, you know, months later began to say, you're going to be a pastor. No, you know, I began to fight him on that. It's a whole other story. But I, I radically changed. Freaked my parents out. Freaked my friends out, you know. When you're sinning with your friends and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Freaked them out. They thought I was crazy. I probably was. Radically changed. It's not that I was free from sin immediately, but I just radically began to make a choice to follow the Lord. Why? Because He loves me. That's why. Because I realized that God loves me. I see your word living for. And I began to walk in His ways and get in His word and seek Him to know Him and to become like Him and to embrace holiness and, and to partner with Him in ministry to this very day. Why do I serve the Lord? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What has sustained me in ministry? You know, people would even ask me, somebody even asked me that this week. Is pastoring hard? I said, no. 
Oh, you're saying there's no difficulties or anything? I didn't say that. But is it hard? No. I mean, why, why Dave? Why is it that, like, you, you seem just, you know, somebody, oh, are, are, don't you get frustrated with the church? Nope. Nope. Why, Dave, why are you, why are you at rest and, and filled with joy as a pastor? Why is it not hard? Why, is there, why are you still doing ministry? Because His love sustains me, refreshes me, heals me, and His love has changed me and changed my character. I'm telling you, it's the only reason I'm still doing what I'm doing. I will lay down my life for Him. I would die for Jesus because He loves me. Because He loves me. That's the reason why. And David had this revelation of God's love. Listen to the way that he would talk about God's love. It's absolutely amazing. He would say in Psalm 59, I will wait for you. This is literally, there are people uh, hunting him down. And he's singing this song. We'll look, at it. we'll look at the specifics another day. I will wait for you, my strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. He says, he's calling God, my God of love, my God of chesed, covenant loyalty. You're going to come through for me. You're my rock. You're my defense. I'm crying out to you, and I'm going to wait for you in this hard time, and even while these people are chasing me. Listen, Psalm 36. David would just meditate on God's love all the time. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness like the great mountains. Your judgments are great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust in the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. We saw last week that David loved the presence of God because he would encounter God's love there and experience pleasures that would satisfy him. And he knew, even more than just like emotionally being satisfied, that God would supply his physical needs, provide for him the food and the shelter that he needed. And he's saying here that we trust you because you love us. And he's meditating and talking about how God's love is higher than heavens. And faithfulness is higher than the clouds. And he's just thinking about all that God is and all his attributes and how wonderful he is. You know, I've heard people say things like this, and I know it's well-intentioned, you know, Oh, you know, you probably don't hear it because we don't talk like this at this church as much, but, oh, people need to stop singing about me, me, me. You know, we need to sing more about God, you know. And, and uh, oh, we're so selfish and stuff like that. I, I, get, I get the point, but I don't agree with it. When you read the Psalms, David was meditating on the character of God and the attributes of God and who God is. But do you know how many times he uses the word me and my in the Psalms? It's obscene. He all over the place. 
My God, my rock, my defense, you're on my side. You're, you're for me. You're going to come through for me. I'm crying out to my God and you're going to do this for me. David would say all the time in Psalm 139 and uh, Psalm 40, he'd say, your thoughts towards me are more than the sand of the sea. I can't even number them. What is he saying? You think about me all the time. See, David was praising God for who he is, like we were doing today. But he understood something. He's my God. It's not wrong to sing about me and my. I mean, if you're singing about yourself and your own righteousness, well, there's a problem there. But if you're singing about the fact that your God is, loves you and delights in you and he's for you, now that's truth. And that's worship. That this holy God, that this creator of the universe, I love that what we were singing, how great is our God, or, or how great you are. Uh, thou art is referring to you are great, right? We weren't saying that art was great. I'm just messing around. We were singing how great thou art. I love that that first, that first verse, or core, uh, first verse, we're singing about the creator of the universe. And then the second verse, how he died. For me, that's reality. That this creator, that the creator of the universe, the king, the sovereign almighty God who owns everything, who does whatever he pleases, he didn't have to make you, he didn't have to make me, he didn't have to die for anyone. But he did because he wanted to. That's insane. That King David was so convinced that God loved him. Was so confident that God loved him that he would say to God, you think about me all the time. When I'm crying, he would say, you hold my tears in a bottle. That's what he would say. You are with me. Remember Psalm 23? Even in the valley of the shadow of death. David's singing Psalm 23 in one of the hardest times of his life. He's not singing that like as a shepherd or something. In the valley of the shadow of death, he's probably crying. And yet he says, I will not fear because the Lord is with me. He was convinced. You are on my side. You are with me no matter what. You love me. You've made promises to me. And because you love me and because you're faithful, you're not giving up on me. You're not letting me go convinced of it it's insane isn't it that the creator of the universe he's thinking about you he loves you he made you he died for you look with me in psalm 27 i'm going to show you something in psalm 27 another psalm we looked at last week and another psalm that's very important in my life In Psalm 27, David is singing about the presence of God. And he says something profound here. In verse 9, in verse 9 of Psalm 27, he's praying to God. And he's obviously going through some tough stuff. Remember here, let me give you the context. He's saying, even if an army surrounded me. Now we know that happened more than once for David. He was surrounded, and he never died. And we said last week, it's because of the presence of God. He was hiding in the presence of God. God would literally shelter him and protect him supernaturally. 
But either way, can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would feel like to have a guy want to kill you and you have no idea why? We're going to look at some of this uh, when we get into the narrative of David and his trials. Like, he, didn't even, he, he even wondered one time, he was like, did I, did I sin? I mean, don't, so many of us, that's what you feel. Somebody's mad at you, somebody hates you, wants to kill you, and I, 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 I can't remember, did I, did I do something to them? Did I say something? Now, sometimes we do, right? <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about that another time. But David, he's like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. Did, did I do something wrong? And he is so confused. Why is this guy trying to kill me? What did I do? And he is in this trial, and there's no reason, there's no answer. And so often we go through things, maybe sickness, maybe trials, maybe job loss, maybe emotional trials. What's going on? Where is God? And all these emotions are coming up in our hearts, especially when it's relational and you feel accused. Or sometimes we go through, you know, you're, you're sick or something, and, and, uh, and you feel accused by the enemy. Oftentimes our own emotions, our flesh, or the enemy just really tries to get in on, on hard things in our life. Trials we're going through. It. If you were more spiritual, and then sometimes Job's friends come along and say those things to us in church. You know, if you love God more, trust in God, or more spiritual, you know, and say these dumb things and these accusations from our own emotions, shame and condemnation, and, and, and these kinds of things are so prevalent in our lives on a good day. How much more when we're going through something, right? I mean, that's, just imagine David being chased by some crazy king. And he's like, what's going on? Can you imagine what kind of emotions would be awakened in his heart? Feelings of like rejection, and betrayal. I mean, this is a leader. This is, this is my mentor. I honored this guy. He's trying to kill me. Can you imagine all that stuff going on inside of him? And he's singing this psalm to the Lord in verse 9. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. He says to God, you have been my help. One of David's favorite words for God. Do not leave me nor forsake me. O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Now remember, David got this from the, the Bible, right? He heard those promises in the Old Testament that I'll never leave you, never forsake you. God would say that. So he's responding to the Word of God. He's heard the Word. He's, he's responding. And he's crying out to God, God, don't leave me. Don't hide your face from me. He's really struggling here. He's crying out his heart to God. I mean, he's pouring out his heart to God. He's crying out to God. And notice what he says. He says, you're my help. He says, you're my salvation. And in one translation, verse 10 uh, reads, even if my father and my mother forsake me. He's not necessarily saying that his mother and father have or will forsake him. But he's making an extreme statement, extreme comparison. He's saying, even if my father and my mother forsake me, not just like leave me physically, but just abandon me. Don't want me. He says, still going to be there, God. You're going to take care of me. You're going to be with me. See, that's God's love. That He loves you. That His love is better than life. Better than your mother. Better than your father. And Some of you, 
You've been forsaken by mother and father. Some of you have been forsaken or betrayed by friends or families or something like that. Listen to what David's saying. He's not saying it doesn't hurt. We would never say that if a person hurt us, that it doesn't hurt. That that would be just denial. He's not saying that. He's saying God's love is better. He understood something. That even if this king is trying to kill me, God loves me and he's with me. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, he said. That even if my own mother or my own father forsook me, God loves me. And what David is trying to say to God and what we're seeing him model to us is that God's love can heal you, can restore you, can strengthen you, can sustain you, even if you're experiencing great rejection. Not just perceived rejection, I mean real rejection. Even if you have been rejected and it hurts, or even if someone were to leave you or forsake you, He never will. Listen to me, the Lord says to you, you are never alone. Some of you are going through lonely times, and the Lord is saying, I am with you. I love you. You are never alone. Never. I am always with you. Like I said, David did not have his friend Jonathan to lean on. And it's great when we can have a Jonathan to lean on or a Jonathina. But when nobody is there, who do you go to? He's right there. He wants to take care of you. And I'm saying that that love that He has for you, He will heal, He will restore, He will strengthen you. And you know that it's this love that gives us the power to love and to forgive. We know that from the New Testament that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven by Christ. We are to love as we have been loved by Jesus. And if we have not experienced the love of God, or if we've not experienced God's forgiveness, how do we give that to somebody else? See, if you're feeling dry, you're feeling weary, you're feeling empty, you're feeling lonely, you've been rejected, what do you do? You receive. Receive His love. And if you don't know how to forgive, you receive His forgiveness. You remember. Jesus even warned us, didn't He? That if you've been forgiven of much sin, you turn around and you can't forgive somebody of a little sin. He warns us. It's not good to bring bondage in our life. You've got to remember, there is no... There's nothing, there's no hurt that anyone has ever given you that is not worse than what God has received from us. We have, been, we have hurt the Lord. We have grieved His heart more than anyone else has ever done that to us. I think He knows. He knows how you feel. And yet He loves you even though you've sinned against Him. He's forgiven you of every sin. And He 
empowers us. He can sustain you in trials, be with you in loneliness, can heal that hurt in your heart, and He can empower you to love and to forgive like Him. See, God's love is so powerful. Change us. We need this. We need this revelation of God's love. I was, um, I was reading in Job this week, and I saw that Job was going through this crazy trial, sickness, and he'd lost everything. And, and Job, struggling with this, he said something. He says it multiple times, but this one verse jumped out at me. He says, he says, he tears me in his wrath and hates me. See, when we're going through hard times, I know it, I see it all the time. This accusation, like I was saying earlier from the enemy, just comes at us. I see it all the time. Somebody gets sick. Oh, did I do something? Did I sin? You go through a hard time. Why did God let that happen? It's so easy for us to get mad at God, to say, to say, you know, He hates me. He's done this to me. He's hurt me. He's, he, he's allowed this to happen. And, and it's so easy for us to say that to God and about God. And, and I'll tell you, the emotions are real. But the words are lies. See, Job was wrong. Job was wrong. He didn't know why he was going through that. He didn't know why that happened to him. But one thing's for sure. It wasn't because of the wrath of God. And God sure didn't hate him. David had the revelation. In fact, I think David had read the book of Job. And David knew, I know how that story ends. David knew, oh, God was there for Job. And God came through. And David stood on those promises in the Word of God. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And David knew, I did not do anything to get Saul to come after me. And in the midst of those trials and in the midst of those hard times, what was David standing on? The love better than life. Even if my father and my mother forsake me, you will never leave me. You will always be there for me. You will always help me. You will always take care of me. I'm never alone. See, Job thought, oh man, God hates me because I'm going through this. It's not true. He loves you. He loves you and his love for you is what's going to sustain you. I want to show you something in Romans 5. And bring this home to your life here. It says here in Romans 5. <clears throat> he says in verse 3, Romans 5, verse 3. Paul says, And not only that, but we also glory or rejoice in tribulations. That could be persecution, but that could just be any kind of like hardships. It says we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, character, hope. Listen to the next verse, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. 
But God demonstrates His own love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do I know that God loves you? Cross. If God gave His Son, if Jesus laid down His own life and shed His own blood for you, that is the definitive statement that God loves you, that He wants you and does not want you to go to hell, does not want anyone to go to hell, loves people and has provided the cure, the answer for our sin, our problem. And yet He took it upon Himself. To question if God loves me. To question, does God want me to be healed? Does God want me to be saved? Does God want me to be restored? Does God want to give a, bring a breakthrough in my life? Does God want to provide for me? Even question that. It's to question the cross. He laid His life down for you. How much more would He give you everything that you need? Romans 8. If God did not spare His only Son, but gave Him up for us all, how much more will He, with Him, give us all things? Referring to all the promises that He's made in the Word. He loves you. And I want you to see something. It's God's love in verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God into our hearts it's God's love for you it's the revelation of God's love that encounter the Holy Spirit revealing God's love to you through the cross through the word of God proving to you this is not about your feelings I mean, I mean, I mean you're saying your feelings don't define if God loves you or not your circumstances don't define if God loves you or not but the Holy Spirit revealing the love of God to you through the cross that God died that, that Jesus died for you when you were a sinner that love, that unconditional chesed love. I said I was going to die for you. I died for you. I said I was going to be there for you, and I'm going to be there for you. That kind of love, that's what sustains you in the trials. That's what sustains you, just like King David. You're going through something right now, and you need an answer from God, you need a breakthrough. He hears you. You need to hear from God. He'll speak to you. You're waiting on a promise from the Lord. He's going to do it. But what do you do while you're waiting? What do you do with those emotions that you have? You let Him love you. You receive His love. His love is better than life. And His love will sustain you, strengthen you, renew you, refresh you, no matter what you're going through. <clears throat> I remember uh, sitting, I remember exactly where I was sitting, by myself, and uh, struggling with loneliness. Before I was a Christian, and even after I was a Christian, I struggled with a lot of fear of rejection. I didn't know that's what it was called. People call it that, I guess, nowadays. But I was just, I didn't really trust people. I really didn't open up. I struggled to feel connected to people. Uh, and when I came to the Lord... Like I told you earlier in the message, I encountered God's love. I, I immediately, I, I encountered the Father's love and I, I felt understood. I felt loved. I felt safe. You know, and, and it, was, it was awesome. 
but I still really struggled in my relationships with people. And I remember uh, sitting one time by myself, struggling with those emotions. You know, they would come in waves and whatever. I, I didn't know back then why. <clears throat> I'm much more aware of my emotions now. I was sitting there, and I remember the Lord said my name. It was like the first time the Lord said, David. I look up. You know, it was really powerful. And he goes, Psalm 27. It's crazy. I just turned into Psalm 27. And that psalm, one of the first times the psalms became, uh, you know, keys to bring breakthrough in my life. Since then, many psalms God has used in seasons of my life. I didn't, I didn't know. But I began to just read and pray and meditate on Psalm 27. And uh, I didn't realize, but even the things that we were reading in Psalm 27... Their truths that David was declaring that brought healing to his life. And God began to show me that's what's going to bring healing to my life. And even years later, as I was saying, God, teach me how to love, and didn't realize some of these things that were going on in my life, or some of these struggles that I was having, I didn't know where they were coming from. And the Lord spoke to me and said, You, this was later, He said, You fear people's rejection because you fear my rejection. Ah. Uh, Talking about, I know you love me, you know? I don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, but I didn't realize that I still had this view that God was mad at me. When I would do something wrong, I'd go hide from God. I didn't realize that the reason why I was defensive and I would get angry or, you know, kind of blow up relationships or just like distance myself from people if something was difficult in relationship. I didn't know all of that. It's just fears of rejection rooted in my wrong views of God. Like, I didn't know. I don't know how to connect the dots to those things. Most of us don't. And the Lord spoke to me, and he began to speak to me from these psalms. In fact, I did a, a, in that season of my life, I just went through the psalms and just read them looking for truth about God's character. And what did I find? Exactly what we're talking about today. <laughs> wow, David knew God loved him. This is amazing. And, I, and God would speak to me from like Isaiah 54. I'm not angry with you anymore. I delight in you. David was so confident in God's love. Psalm 18 says this. In Psalm 18, and this was one of the big ones for me. Psalm 18, David says, You rescued me because you delighted in me. That's what he said. Just like David, that needs to be our anthem as well. We need to just stand in that. Declare that. You rescued me because you delighted in me. I bring you pleasure. You like me. Well, you have to love me, you know. You know, you know, you're my mom or my dad, so you have to love me. We kind of have that sometimes with our earthly parents or something, with our family. We can probably be that way with God. Well, God has to. God is love, you know. He just tolerates me. No, David was like, God, you delight in me. You feel passionately about me. You feel joy about me. You want to be with me. You like me. You delight in me. You desire me. And he says, that's why you rescued me. Why did God give his son for you? Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before Jesus. That's why he did it. Same reason, we're told, that he rescued you because he likes you. He wants you. He delights in you. This is the confidence that David had before the Lord. And it was that kind of truth that began to break fears of rejection in me and teach me how to trust God in a deep way. And began to teach me, I began to learn how to trust people. God would tell me and kind of coach me, 
So you can trust these people through me. These are trustworthy people. They're not perfect, but you can trust them. And began to teach me how to trust people, have healthy relationships, and respond to people differently. I've learned, I'm not, I'm, by, I'm far from perfection here, but I've learned there's a wholeness in my relationships because of the revelation of God's love. And even, I don't know, I think it was a couple years ago, as a pastor, you, you give and you give and you give. I mean, I think the older you get, you move more and more into a place of maturity and giving. At least that's healthy. I mean, if you're 40 and you're still like a kid, there's problems. But like, it's natural when we're children to need, and it's natural to expect our young children to begin to give and to serve, and it's natural that a man, as, as, as a boy becomes a man, or as a woman, become, uh, I mean a girl becomes a woman, it's natural then to begin to give. You get married, and guess what marriage is? Giving. Why do most of us get married though? Self, right? But it's not about that. You, you get married and you learn to serve and to give and to lay your life down. And then you have kids and you give and give and give. And then you have two kids and three kids and you just give. And they're not always thankful, but it, mostly they are. And, uh, and you become a pastor, hypothetically. And you give. And you give, and you give, and you give. And you know what? It can be draining. What's the answer? What's God's answer? Was, is that the idea that like when we're children, we're safe in our parents' homes, and we receive love, and we have some friends and stuff, and then we become married, and we're like, what do I do now? And we have kids, and, and God's like, ah, forget you. you know? is, that how it is? is that how it is when you get saved? You get saved, and God loving on you. You feel the presence of God. And then later on as a Christian, you just takes his presence away from you and well it's time to give now come on now go do evangelism or something get people saved is that really what it is i mean the healthy the healthy growth of a christian is you reach others for christ you give to others you serve that's healthy but do you stop receiving oh remember a couple years ago it wasn't that i wasn't receiving it wasn't that i wasn't in a healthy relationship but it's giving and giving and giving i was tired emotionally tired, I was physically tired. You give and you give and you give. And I remember coming before the Lord. Oh, and there was some things going on in my heart. There was some anger in my heart that I wasn't dealing with. Sometimes that happens, you know. It starts cropping back up again. I remember coming before the Lord. And I'm sitting there with God and He just began to say to me, I'm your dad. I'm pleased with you. He just began to speak to me and give back to me what I needed began to refill me, refresh me. And of course, when God begins to say that to you, I, I would meditate on it, you know, like we always tell you to do, and like go to the Word. Okay, where's that in the Word? It's not like we're making stuff up here. It's in the Word. It's all over the Scriptures, and I go to the Scriptures, and I'd read it. And I started realizing that in that season of my life, what did I need more than anything else? I needed God to refresh me. And as He began to refresh me, it began to expose some anger in my life began to show me how to have even more balance in my life. David, the more you give, the more you're going to have to receive. And if you're a dad, you need your dad. You need your heavenly father, right? You're a mom, you need your heavenly father. You're a husband, a wife, and you're giving, and maybe even you're in a situation where you're not receiving 
You need the Lord to love you and to show you how to love. And even if you've got amazing wife, like I've got an amazing wife here, and yet we're learning to receive from the Lord and to serve one another, I think, in a new way. Both of us are learning to, to serve one another because what happens is you get tired with the kids and with everything going on and even your own life, and you start neglecting the one person that you covenanted to. And your spouse starts feeling like they're the last. Michelle and I, it's so easy for us to miss each other. And yet recently I feel like we've, we've kind of talked that through, we've worked that through, but we're looking to the Lord to fill us up so that we can make sure that I don't miss my wife. She doesn't miss me and we can love on each other. You can miss your kids, huh? So busy with your own life. You miss your kids. See, this is so important to understanding David, isn't it? He knew God's love. And he would encounter God's love in God's presence. He would encounter God's love in the Word. And that love would sustain him. Luke, come on up and lead us in response. I want to challenge us at church to press into this love. To press into God's love that he would encounter us. This week in your life groups, as you're studying the Word of God, as you're singing these psalms back to God, I want to challenge you to press in to God's love. Go for it, Luke.